My thoughts on mediums. I'm both fascinated and a bit skeptical. I've been to two and what I liked most about the medium is that through some of the experiences that I've had, they've helped me to have a little insight on to what has happened. But then again, like some of the things they told me that I would do with my life, mm, I'm not so sure I I agree with them. Consulting mediums is is forbidden by God, mainly because you're doubling with the demonic. I think it is a deceptive practice that takes advantage of the emotional pain others are feeling. It capitalizes on the grief of people who have lost loved ones and might give answers unrelated to what the past person would actually say. Uh, I have consulted actually with a psychic and a medium. You know, I remember even a career change I was inquiring about because I don't like my job. And she's like, well, you make really good money and you're not going to make that much anywhere else you go. Uh, So it was just very, it it was unencouraging. Um, But the first experience wasn't like this. I obviously talked to these psychics before I really believed in a formal God. And after Christianity, I can remember going to church and crying um, for weeks. I would just cry and cry and I would pray that uh, God forgave me and he would almost take away this memory from this psychic. And I felt so icky after the reading. And uh, it's weird because I felt like God would be so mad at me. Um, And I've had friends who felt that you know, it's the enemy. Um, people with psychic abilities, that's just the devil speaking through them, which I don't necessarily know that I believe that, but I, I do think it can be a dangerous game at the end of the day to rely on someone to basically be your gut instinct and uh, let whatever they say be your truth. My issue with mediumship isn't that it doesn't work, but rather that the methods used aren't supernatural. Proficient mediums, consciously or not, are incredibly intuitive. I think for a long time, Western culture has viewed spirituality through either you believe in God and the devil or it's all fake. And so with the deconstruction movement that we have today, where people are leaning into spirituality without the lens of God, I think they're forgetting the reality of the dark side of the game that they're playing. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the live podcast practice where we leave our little cozy little echo chamber to explore the challenging ideas that divide us. My name's Conrad and if you're a new friend of the show, tuning in for the first time, welcome. Regular friends of the show, you already know, uh, we all love to think we're open-minded but uh, then when it comes to listening to somebody with an idea we disagree with, the urge to ignore, unfollow, ridicule or debate is sometimes too strong. I'm very guilty of this quite often. So welcome into the uncomfortable space that is outside of our echo chamber. Let's begin with a little bit of clickbait. And I made this up and it's just straight from YouTube. Psychic destroys skeptic. Now, 
it's probably misrepresenting what we're talking about here, but I like a bit of a destroys uh, in the title. Is that what happens? Probably not. But let me introduce new friend of the show, Gary Nunn. Thanks for joining me on Ideas Digest. Good to be here. You're a new friend. Could you uh, introduce yourself? And it's as if we were, what, uh, what city are you in? I know you're in Australia. I'm in Sydney. Okay, Sydney. So um, you're from Sydney. I'll, I'll, I'll bank that uh, for some assumptions later on. But let, let's say we run into each other at a very lovely Sydney hipster cafe somewhere and you introduce yourself to me. Gary, it's nice to meet you. Who are you and, and what do you do with yourself? Well, I'm originally from London and I moved here 10 years ago to Sydney. Um, and I am a journalist. Um, I write human interest features mainly amongst other things um, for a variety of different media outlets, including the ABC, Sydney Morning Herald, BBC, and also um, The Guardian. And I'm also, I've just released my first book. So that is um, called The Psychic Tests. So my first time author as well. I feel like my attempt at a clickbait, you could do a better job. How would, you, how would you clickbait, I guess, your book if you had to, like, buzzfeed it into just a really misleading caption? All believers of psychics are gullible. <laughs> that's good. I might use that one instead. All believers, that's a good clickbait. It's like there's no nuance at all. Now, before we do get to the nuance, which I know you, you, you wrote about in your book, uh, you've introduced yourself to me. I'd like to... I'd like to confess something to you, Gary. I've, I've just been judging you this whole time. I have so many judgments and assumptions in my heart that I just need to share with you. Could you please correct me where I'm wrong, where I've just off the mark or maybe I've got some correct? Could you do that for me? With pleasure. <laughs> okay. Now, the first one's an easy one. You said you're from Sydney. I'm in Melbourne right now. You think you're better than me? <laughs> No, I think you're probably a bit better than me, to be honest. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Although, truth be told, I'm not a Melbourneian, so if you said you were, I'd probably agree with you because I don't like Melbourne. Journalist, okay. So, so I'm, I, I try. this was actually quite difficult for me. I'm always sometimes good at judging people, but journalists, I don't know. I found it quite difficult. That's all I had to go off. You've got to be some like hyper rationalist atheist, you know. It's all logic and reason. That kind of journalist. Well, if we're talking about me, then yes, I would consider myself to fall into that bracket. Although I probably would swap out atheist for agnostic, and okay. that's a transition I made to the interest of no one about um, five years ago because <laughs> I realised that oh. if you're an, <laughs> I realised that if you're an atheist, you are pretty certain that God doesn't exist. Whereas if you are mm -hmm. an agnostic, um, I kind of feel like that definition is better representative of my position, which is like, I don't know that God doesn't exist, but I kind of don't think that he does. And I can't mm -hmm. necessarily prove that, but there's a lot of theory and evidence to back up um, that statement. So um, I feel like it was a softening of my of my view. So I definitely, um, I, you know, atheist would, would accurately describe me really, but agnostic is the best description. But yeah, rational minded, you're right. And um, that's not true of all journalists, though. I would say that like that's true. Oh. of 
I think of me, but like I know a lot of journalists who are massive believers in psychics. Okay, so if you were to stereotype journalists because you're in the field, if I said journalist, hit me with a stereotype, what would it be? Um, Thick-skinned, um, uh, oh, by yeah. and large rational-minded, interested mm-hmm. in fairness and balance, um, uh, unflappable, um, it, easy, easily, um, they can easily spot spin and bullshit and ah, okay. um, cut through it. Okay. Okay. All right. Yep. Yep. That, I think there's some good ones. I definitely missed a lot there. I, I actually went with a different uh, different uh, agenda when I'm thinking journalists because they get a bad rap these days. You trying to are you if you're a journalist, you must be trying to brainwash people with like a hidden mainstream media agenda. Is that what you're up to, Gary? Um. Absolutely not, especially because I'm freelance across a number of different mastheads. So where would my agenda yeah. be? Um, and especially when I, yeah. you know, and I previously worked in-house um, for the BBC. So I was BBC Australia's features journalist and um, and I continue to write for them. And they are rigorous on balance. They're fastidious on it. Um, I mean, I would actually say most outlets are, um, but the BBC and the ABC um, are um, accountable to the government and to the public being public broadcasters. So like that's something that they are um, obsessive about. So yeah. And, and being, being freelance and writing across a number of different outlets that, you know, some are progressive, some are less progressive. Sometimes I write pieces for News Corp. Sometimes I write pieces for the Guardian, you know, they've got very different agendas. Um, and um, so, yeah, for someone like me, I'm probably a bit of an outlier. But, yeah, if you're a journalist that sits in-house at one of those outlets, then, yeah, maybe you have a point. Maybe there is a progressive agenda or a conservative agenda um, and, and that forms the paradigm in which they report or their columnists um, uh, see the world. Um, but for me, mm. um, I would say that I am probably even more balanced because I have to, um, talk to a number of different audiences on a versatile range of topics. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Now this one might, might trigger you then, because I know maybe some friends of the show listening uh, and I did some Googling Gary Nunn, a few ABC articles come up now. I'm sure you've gotten this before. You gotta be some lefty tree hugging leftist writing for the public broadcaster privatize that public broadcaster abc is that you gary well yeah i do write for the abc but i also write for news corp so you know like oh, my most recent article okay. was in news corp in the sunday telegraph which is conservative okay. so like i i would say i would oh. come back at you and contest that that counterbalances um uh, anything and and yeah you you write for a certain audience there's certain things that an abc audience might want over a um, news corp audience although i would say that both of them are very broad churches and um, it depends on which particular staple or program or um, section you're writing for within those media outlets so it's very diverse okay yes i i think you've being a freelance uh journalist you've definitely slipped out of a lot of the stereotypes i would have thought but i found it hard to actually come up with a few good ones what are some stereotypes um, that you've received maybe that would help help me understand like what have you come across that people might think about you that may be correct or not about me personally or about journalists per se you personally me personally okay um 
Well, I think some of them would come down to being a journalist. So uh, there would be some people who um, would would presume that I would do anything to get a story and that um, that there's certain information that they might not trust me, me with because that might end up um, in the public domain. Um, and um, they, um, they'd be wrong, by the way, but they might think that. Also, maybe um, that um sometimes personally i think sometimes they might say that i there's a form some people might think that i am a bit adhd because i like bring a certain amount of energy to things and um again not true that's not something i've been diagnosed with but some people seem to like to diagnose me with that um there are a couple of assumptions and maybe uh, during pa- during the pandemic um, and, and j- especially during lockdowns, um, there was a, a stereotype going around that journalists were kind of making everything worse. And, um, and oh, yeah, good one. Uh, it was it, uh, there was a, a lot of scapegoating of journalists reporting on, for example, the fact that um, in very rare cases, AstraZeneca caused blood clots. And there was a lot of blame put on to reporters for um, reporting that. And I actually wrote a piece saying it is literally our job to report that because if we, even when it's rare, because if we didn't report that um, and people started to get blood clots, even when they are very rare, um, people, there'd be an outcry saying, why on earth wasn't this in the media? So in the media I read and consumed, it, um, the AstraZeneca blood clot story was reported and it was reported as being very rare. Um, and then there was this whole whipping up of like vaccine hesitancy and it's causing an anti-vaccine sentiment. You know, we're we're at 92% um, vaccinated in New South Wales today. So I think actually um, all of that hot air that was created um, was... Uh, and, and and thrown at journalists was actually um, a myth. And I think that um, actually we just did our jobs and we faced up to the criticism and the proofs in the put in. Most people have gone out and got vaccinated. To the clickbait, uh, which I think yours was better than mine, but mine was Psychic Destroys Skeptics. You've written a book. Um, tell us about your book, The Psychic Tests, and potentially what led you into this space of writing this book. Sure. Okay. Uh, two questions there. So I'll take the first one about what the book's about. So um, the book's called The Psychic Tests. It's a two-year investigation into the world of believers and skeptics. And um, in that investigation, I reveal that whether you believe in them or not, psychics are likely to have an impact on who will trust you, who will date you, who will hire you, and even who will fire you. And in the book, there are case studies and stories to back up each of those um each of those statements um and it reveals that um people who hire and pay for psychics and take their counsel seriously um, range from chief executives in australia and across the world um world leaders um, and even police murder investigators um so yeah that was that was what the book's about um and what in what incited me to write the book was two things number one it was my sister so my sister's a massive believer in psychics and so in the book she forms the voice of the believer in the book and i'm the skeptic and um what i will say is in the book we 
we kind of step into each other's worlds a bit. So we, we start to hear each other a bit more and I kind of kind of come around to hearing her point of view a bit more and, and she does mine. And, um, but yeah, she, it, she, at least at the very start, I'm a complete skeptic and she's a complete believer. We don't end in those places. Um, uh, not quite in those places. And then, um, so yeah, so she, has always massively been obsessed with psychics and I used to just take the mickey out of her and it formed part of our sibling banter um but it grew a lot darker in 2015 when our dad died suddenly and um my sister then my younger sister um she sought out the services of 10 different mediums to try and bring my dad back in the room um and it formed part of the way that she grieved and I then grew very concerned that her grief was being exploited by grief vultures um these mediums who were purporting to bring my dad back in the room and I I just didn't believe that they were doing that and and I believe that they were freeze framing her in the bargaining or denial phase of grief so that was reason number one and reason number two was as a journalist um i reported for the sydney morning herald on a story of um a stockbroking firm called bby and its executive chairman called glenn rosewall had hired a psychic and paid her for four years on the books and she had advised him on where to invest the company's stocks and shares based on her psychic advice but she had also advised him on who to hire and even who to fire, all based on her mystical psychic advice. And it did not go very well. It went bust and it was the biggest stockbroking firm collapse um, since the global financial crisis. And it all came out in this liquidators report. And I that sort of gave me this new hunch, which was maybe the believers of psychics aren't like my sister which is vulnerable and fragile. And perhaps I think I'd made some value judgments on them that they were naive and gullible and foolish even. Maybe they are in fact like him, which is powerful and authoritative and responsible for millions of dollars and hundreds of stuff. Now that court case, because when I was reading your book, I was like, man, I've got to look this up. And I tried to find articles about that high profile stockbroking firm case. And then I tried to find the outcome of it. Do you know what, like what happened? Because all I'm struck with is like, oh, cool. Rich bloke loses tons of money, no consequences. Was there any, like, what was the end result of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it was a liquidator's report and he had to go to court and the psychic who he hired, Naveen Rottinger, also had to, went to court as a witness and revealed it all. Um, $66 million of the company's money was owed to 6,000 clients. So, um, so yeah, it was, um, it was pretty serious and he, you know, he was put on the dock and then they had to try and recoup some of this money. So, um, obviously he's, you know, the, the, the firm's gone bust and it's collapsed. Um, and, uh, and his name's all over the papers. So like, it's, you know, he, he does now have a new job. He, he didn't funnily enough um, respond to my requests for interview, but, um, I think last time I looked, he was working in cryptocurrency, but yeah, he also, um, anyone that hires him, one quick Google will show how he managed his previous workplace and might raise some red flags, I would suggest. And I think that's what you did a lot in your book, going through like 
your your journey from a skeptical position with all these assumptions about people who use psychics and mediums and that kind of I guess you go through these different tests, these different stories. And I'm wondering if you can do something for me. You've, you've shown me that you're quite a versatile journalist, writing for the ABC, for Murdoch himself, for, you know, different perspectives, different audiences. I'm wondering, given your personal journey from the sceptic to understanding psychics or people who might use psychics, could you, maybe with a story or two or with some convincing arguments that you came across, could you occupy perhaps your sister's perspective and maybe convince me that no, no, psychics are legit and they're like, how else, like, there's no other explanation than they're really useful, really legit. Could you convince me of that given your two years of study in the field? Yeah, probably. Um, do you want a story about um, professional success or love or predictions coming true? Because I can give you any of those three. Oh, okay. Um, I think predictions coming through, uh, coming true has to be in there. But I guess love is really compelling. I guess it's like I'm the skeptic, and you're just wholeheartedly just going to convince me that that psychics are legit. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's start with love. So um, there was a woman. Her name is. You're in. There's a woman, her name's Deborah Lee Furness, and she's working in LA. And she has recently graduated from acting school and she's not getting the um, professional breaks that she wants. And she's hoping to get them. She's in LA. She's moved to LA from Australia. And um, she's also not getting the romantic breaks that she wants in her life. So um, she does what many people do when they're feeling a bit lost and she goes and hires a psychic and that fortune teller says to her what you need to do Deborah is you need to move back to Australia because that is where it's all going to happen for you very shortly after moving back you are going to get a big um, professional lead as in an acting job and um, you're also going to meet a man so based solely on that psychic advice Deborah Lee Furness moves back to Australia and within weeks of moving back to Australia, she scores the lead role in ABC crime drama Corelli and on set, she meets a very handsome young man who has just graduated from drama school and his name is Hugh Jackman and this year they have been married for 25 years. So there you go, there's your love story. Um, It sounds like... If that's not true, I don't know what is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah my sister loved that story um okay why don't i hit you up with a professional success story because i've given you one about okay. a stockbroker firm collapsing let's talk to you why don't i talk to you yeah. about a very very high achieving high-ranking ceo who a lot of your listeners would have heard of um who attributes um this big success to a psychic so her name is christine holgate and read uh, your listeners sorry may um, remember her name because she um, led Australia Post and she got into some trouble with the government because she'd bought some Rolex watches as bonuses for her staff and then um, actually um, uh, has been playing out recently Um, before she headed up Australia Post. Um, Christine Holgate, um, actually, she worked for a little little while for the BBC as a journalist. And then after that, she became the CEO of the vitamin company Blackmores. And in that role, she was tasked with increasing 
the sales of Blackmore's vitamins in China. And um, what the sales team had said as part of their strategy was um, it would be great if you could meet the Chinese president and get a picture with him. And Xi Jinping is notoriously difficult and, and um, elusive to um, meet. So she thought, how on earth am I going to do that? Um, so she was tasked with this like Herculean, um, impossible task. And she decided she would hire a psychic to advise her on how to achieve this. So the psychic said, yep, I know how you're going to do it. This is what you need to do. Christine, you need to wear a piece of green, like wear a piece of green jewelry and um, go to an event where he's there. And um, where, if you're wearing green, you'll meet him and you'll get a picture with him. So she gets an invite to the G20 and there's all of these world leaders and chief execs and um, Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas is there and Alan Joyce is facilitating all these meetings and he says, who do you want to meet? And Alan Joyce wanted to meet Barack Obama at the time and um, all of these other people wanted to meet these different world leaders. And Christine Holgate says to him, I want to meet Xi Jinping. And he says, that is impossible. Like he's, his security is all around him. And um, she said, and also I want to get a picture with him. And he's like, you can't take phones into the G20. So there's no way you'll be able to even get a picture, even if you do meet him. But she was wearing this white dress and this green necklace. And... Um, somehow she smuggles the phone in past the security of the G20. So that's roadblock number one sorted. And then inside um, she goes up to Tony Abbott, then prime minister of Australia and uh, says, please, please, can you introduce me to Xi Jinping? And he marches her over to him and lo and behold, she meets him and they get the picture. That picture is then blown up and it is put around every um, major pharmacy in China. Now, um, that year, um, before the meeting, um, Blackmore's sales in China were one million um, Australian dollars. The year after the picture, when it had been blown up around all those pharmacies, their sales increased to fifty million dollars. The year after that, so two years after the picture, when this picture is still around all these pharmacies, their sales went up to five hundred million dollars, half a billion dollars, all thanks to some psychic advice. And Christine Holgate tells conferences this. If you want to be successful, go and get yourself a psychic. All right. That is, I'm just thinking, what are the odds? Okay. Because it's interesting that these are very high profile, successful people. So I'm already feeling like the story of who I think might use psychics is changing a little bit. And I mean, what... What are the odds of wearing a piece of green? Okay, I'm trying to like, I'm the skeptic. I'm trying to go, okay, uh, you know, maybe odds are maybe she's just, maybe the psychic just picked green randomly. Uh, maybe it's a color that, I don't know, Chinese people like or a symbolic or something. But the odds are, odds are quite uh, far on this happening and being predicted. And the guy saying, no, no, you're legit going to meet Xi Jinping. Um Okay, can you do you have any like data or any any more compelling evidence that could convince me that this is something that I should probably invest in, like Christine Holgate recommends? Well, um, data is hard to come by in Australia because there's not been um, the problem is not too many research companies, like big research companies, um, who are taken seriously here or academics here. Um, uh, necessarily delve into this stuff too deeply because they kind of dismiss it as 
woo woo and um and therefore there is a a lack of um, robust and rigorous data here i can tell you that yougov and others have done um research in america which is kind of ground zero for psychics and um yeah it's like the epicenter of belief um uh, and and so it's a very different context from here given that you know you've got to think about in America, it's, it's very difficult to even get elected as president as an atheist, you know, um, that's never happened. Um, so, and it's unlikely to happen anytime soon. So anyway, that's the context as I'm sure, you know, but um, one in three Americans claim that they have had a psychic experience. So that could mean that they have predicted something that came true themselves or a psychic has said to them something that they came, that came true and they believe that that was real. So one in three, so it's a lot, um, and um, half of women um, uh, claim that they have had a, a psychic experience that's come true for them. So that's in America, but in Australia, um, it's um, it's harder to. Uh, and and the other thing is, um, a lot of people are clandestine and secretive about their belief and about the fact that they seek out these people because I would normally have to give people two glasses of wine before they even confess that they'd seen a psychic, which was one of my like dodgier methods of getting them to spill the beans. But like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's um, journalism, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're worried that they're, you know what it is? People of high professional standing are worried that their credibility will be questioned and they're worried that their decision-making prowess will be questioned. And rightly so, I would say, but you know, that doesn't stop them from hiring them, as we've seen. I mean, Christine Holgate's an out Leo in that she's very, um, she's very transparent and open about it. Like she, and, and also she's slightly tongue in cheek, but she goes into quite a lot of detail. And she, you know, I, I think that she probably, um, she probably has this, what I call blind spot um, when it comes to psychic belief. But the interesting thing is when you compare it to people of faith, you know, um, there's, huge number of people of faith um in uh, around the world as you know and uh, like faith's major organized religions still have a massive impact in australia and how do we treat them well we we give them a lot of respect and gravitas and we give them tax breaks to run huge influential organizations in australia we even give them a say over public policy um in britain for a long time we gave them seats in the house of lords parliament's upper house um, and that's what we do with people of faith who are believers in supernatural miracles. What do we do in psychic believers of supernatural miracles who, to my mind, are no different from people who believe that a virgin can give birth and a sky wizard can grant you wishes? What do we do with them? Well, we uh, mock them and deride them and we're dismissive of them like I was of my sister. And... Um, and there's just an interesting disparity there. So I think that when you think about the number of people that are willing to um, say that they believe in these unfeasible supernatural miracles as part of their faith, and we're supposed to give them all of this gravitas and respect, and yet this is other cohort who profess a belief in equally supernatural and paranormal miracles, um, which frankly are implausible, um, we laugh at them. So I would I would say based on that, and based on the number of um, people of faith there are in this country, I'd say that there are a vast, um, vastly greater number of psychic believers than you would first think. Is my is my guess? Mm. 
Because it sounds like it's an interesting uh, parallel that you draw there because for the agnostic or atheist friend of the show listening in, uh, it does seem that the correlation between, you know, religious figures or, or priests and psychics uh, almost claim to do, yeah, do the supernatural. One predict futures, the other bless and heal or some supernatural types of things there. And I'm, I'm struck by the Prime Minister of Australia currently, Scott Morrison, he has openly said that he uh, that the Lord told him. So I'm just now paralleling these stories going, okay, Christine Holgate is like a psychic told me to wear green. I met President Xi. And Scott Morrison saying, the Lord told me now's the time to go, Scotty. You're going to win. You, and, and then he wins this miraculous, unwinnable election. Um, it's interesting just to have those, I suppose, side by side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I've said this a lot. Um, I reported for the BBC Australia on um, Scott Morrison's election when I was I was stood in the media scrum um, as he um, came up to the podium and made that famous speech, um, winning, as you say, um, the unwinnable election for his party. And um, the first line that came out of his mouth was, "I have always believed in miracles." Now that to me is um, one of the most disturbing sentences in Australian politics because that miracle is what you think is going to save us from climate change. That miracle is what you think is going to stop the bushfires. You know, um, this is what people um, who uh, are basing their worldview and their politics um, believe is, is going to either save us or... Um, redeem us or save us from our sins or save us from these catastrophes what we actually need is um, policy led by science and reason and rationale and we need to during the pandemic we listened to um, our chief medical officers very closely which is which is great but we need to do that more with climate change and we need to do that more right now the new south wales parliament for example is debating um, euthanasia voluntary assisted dying and there are people up there who are using their faith to say well no you shouldn't be able to have voluntary assisted dying because I believe in God. Well, that's that's good for you, but that doesn't mean to say that the rest of us that don't believe in these in these supernatural miracles should should be denied the option of a dignified death or an abortion or anything where uh, a religion a religion is saying well only God can give life and take it away and it is intellectually dishonest for people to stand up there and say it's for any other reason because you know for with the euthanasia debate in New, New South Wales, both Chris Minns and Dominic Perrottet are both Catholics, and they are both people whose religion is infecting their politics and um, denying the, and making the rest of us potentially like live out our lives at the end of our lives in pain and suffering um, unnecessarily. So, um, I think that it's really interesting when you look at the impact of these of this supernatural miracles, apparent paranormal um, beliefs, which do not stand up to reason. And uh, they are having a massive um, impact in our, um, in our public policy. And um, if, if the same were true of psychic believers and psychics, and we were allowing them more transparently into public life and, um, and world leaders have done this, by the way, you know, there are, there are, two world leaders who I name in my book who have literally ran countries based on psychic advice. People would, and they kept it very secretive because people would be up in arms and rightly so. And yet 
we we seem quite comfortable and relaxed to let religion um, dictate public policy, and I am not comfortable or relaxed about that. I um, think that we need to get religion way out of politics, and I think if you are a person of faith and you want to stand as a politician, you need to keep your faith separate from your politics, and you need to be led by science and reason. Um, I mean, I can't believe I'm having to say that in 2021, but yeah. That's so. I think that it's a very interesting disparity between the way that we're treating two different cohorts of people. Because you're describing it, I suppose, cultural difference that we're used to, you know, the prominence of religious belief in public figures, in CEOs, in prime ministers, in presidents, especially like you said in America. You won't get an atheist president anytime soon. You'll have a, a woman before you have an atheist. Um, and so it sounds like people are okay with this maybe because of a, a cultural acclimatization to it or, but when we encounter something new that's categorized as woo, this, these mediums, these psychics, the, the skepticism of that, of that, well, of course this man was silly for employing a psychic to make stock trades, but I suppose, yeah, I can. When, what you're saying is, when you parallel these the psychics and the religion, you it's it's like you place them in the same category. And for things like uh, decisions made for the public good, um, scientific decisions, um, healthcare decisions, we should be basing them on on reason and science. But your it's your point. You're using psychics to almost point out this blind spot that society has when it comes to religion, almost. It's only it's only in that sense in the in the because you know it sounds pretty rude about people of faith to be honest. I'm um, and I don't mean to be disrespectful towards them. I'm just um, I'm just being led by science and reason and um, and make no apology for that. And nor should any anyone in power. Um, and the pandemic has has just proven that you know. Um, but one one area where there is a big um, difference between people of faith and psychics and the psychic believers is sometimes as as an atheist slash agnostic I sometimes go into a church and I and I sit in the pews and I, I find it a very peaceful place to be reflective and and um, contemplative and I find that quite consoling and um, in a in a kind of I've recently been reading Alan de Botton's Religion for Atheists and in in the way that he says you know, there were a lot of elements of religion that are quite appealing and, and we miss out on those um, in our heathen, stark, atheist lives. So um, sometimes I'll go in there and I'll, I'll, um, I'm not praying to their God. I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's a form of meditation for me. But um, I was in a church the other, um, the other month and um, on the back of the pew, there was a sign and it said, please pray for others before yourself. And I remember thinking then, now that is the difference because not I went to see dozens of psychics and mediums and tarot card readers and palm readers, etc., on this journey. And not once did I go in and say, my mate Dave's having a really tough time. Can you tell me what his future holds and whether he'll be okay? And it was all about me, 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 me. And that's what they do. They stroke your ego. And that, and, and that is very seductive and very flattering and, um, uh, very powerful and um and it's a bit of a trap because um you 
can they can envisage for you a future which may have been difficult for you to envisage yourself and which might feel exciting and full of possibility and potential that you might not have necessarily considered but um the foundation of religion is love thy neighbor and um and i would say although that major religion major organized religions are responsible for a lot of harm in the world um it would be remiss of me not to talk about the um, the charitable and healing works that they do. And, um, and I think that that's where the difference lies because, you know, um, it was free for me to walk into that church and sit down and, 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 um, uh, and there is a community around that church. Whereas um, with psychics, they are um, taking money from people um, and they're a business, you know, they're taking money just like a psychologist does or just like a vicar does. But, um they're taking money from people and they're doing something that um that is scientifically unproven so um i think that there's a there the difference between the two in a word is altruism and it exists within um faith communities and less so in psychic ones yeah that's an interesting critique that you place on psychics but also the same holds true within the worst of religion. I suppose the worst of psychics and almost exclusively the ones maybe that you've encountered, it is this consumeristic, you just tell me about me. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what's good for me. Who am I going to love? Who am I going to? It's this. And if I'm the customer, then the psychic is ultimately going to tell me something that I'm wanting. If there's a psychic that's known for laying down hard truths, maybe that psychic is going to be like, at 62, you're dead. And we get something out of it and we go, okay, yeah, it's all about me still. Or maybe I just want to find love. And then the psychic says, yeah, you're going to, you're going to find love. You're going to, and, and I guess that's what you're saying is the thing that can draw us in and seduce us and ultimately maybe addict us at worst to coming back to finding out more about ourselves and reflect ourselves. And that I suppose, as you're pulling out there can also exist within religion. There can be this transactional God that I'm like, dear God, please help me become prime minister. Please help me like do this. Please help me get this. And I suppose those elements are there in, in both that you pull out. So I suppose as you keep um, drilling into, I guess, psychics at their worst, this is one element. Is there anything else? Whereas if now, now I'm, I'm the believer and you're saying, Conrad, psychics at their worst can be this, what else would you add to that picture that you've painted? In terms of the the worst part of psychics, yeah, the things that we should be wary of, or maybe the reason why they're a scam, or the reason why they're a hoax. If you occupy the the, the inverse of the question before, oh god, where to start? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so much. I mean, if you just if you okay, click on the A Triple C website, and um, uh, you will see um, uh, you can you can click by month and by year and you'll see hundreds of thousands of dollars that's been extorted from Australians from psychic frauds. And a psychic fraud, it sounds like a tautology because, uh, you know, if you're a skeptic, then all psychics are frauds. But um, psychic fraud is actually a very specific crime. And there's even an American um, psychic fraud detective who fights it. And um, what happens is a psychic will convince you that you are cursed. And you might have been experiencing depression or um, really bad luck and just not catching a break. And you might be really, really vulnerable and fragile. And they convince you that there is a spiritual curse on you, which you have to pay them to remove. I mean, this this psychic 
um, detective that I explored in America, Bob Nygaard, his name is, um, he, um, the stories that he has, I mean, one woman, Megan, she was walking through New York and she'd been really depressed and she'd suffered really, really awful time, like breakup of a relationship and not getting the professional break she wanted, uh, major depression. And um, this psychic said, there's something strange about you. There's something strange about you, not, something not quite right. And she was very, she was a skeptic. And um, everyone says they're a skeptic. No one really says they're a believer. But anyway, she was. And um, and so they convinced her that there was a curse on her. And she found herself believing it because she was so vulnerable. And um, they convinced her that to undo it, they had to, she had to buy the psychic Rolex watches Um which uh, she got from Christine Holgate. No, joking. Um, that, uh, <laughs> they had to buy them Rolex watches, <laughs> which um, would turn back the time. So they, she would literally give them this Rolex watch and they would turn the clock back to try and remove the curse. Then she had to buy um, a um, really expensive lump of um, crystal. Um, it was like a quartz um, and uh, the psychic had to buy it, but Megan had to give her the money. And in the end, they extorted $200,000 from Megan. So Bob's job is to go in and um, prove that that's fraud and um, get them arrested and get them nicked. So um, that kind of stuff happens in Australia as well. People, psychic fraud happens in Australia where people are how, convinced. How does one draw the line between <laughs> psychic fraud and using a psychic, it's like it, there has to be some kind of measure of being like, okay, he's told you you're going to find love and he's charged you a hundred bucks. Sounds reasonable. He's told you you're going to find love and he's charged you a hundred thousand dollars. That's fraud. <laughs> like what's the, what's the line? Well, there? when, there's, when there's a financial figure that they've been demanding money, um, a lawyer can come in and legally say, look, you've extorted um, a, um, an actual figure of money from this person. Um, but also um, it's worth saying that um, it's illegal to give psychic readings um, in South Australia and the Northern Territory to this day. Um, and uh, that's still on the statute books, but um, unless for the express purpose of entertainment. So that's how they get away with it. Because for the express purpose of entertainment, they can kind of do it. But yeah, if they're um, purporting to tell someone's future um, or speak to the dead, it's actually illegal. But um, yeah, it's when they extort a, an actual financial figure from people that is counted as fraud and it goes on to the ACCC. So in my book, I report on um, you know the figures from the ACCC of... Um, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, from Australians who have been convinced that they have a curse and it needs to be lifted by giving the psychic money, which sounds laughable, but I would I would um, advise caution on laughing because that's what the old me would have done. And through doing this book, I've discovered that there are that that how can I put it? Delusion is always more forgivable than deceit. So there are people that delude themselves and believe this stuff and come to believe in their own abilities. And um, uh, but when you're actually uh, knowingly deceiving someone to um, uh, to gain money for financial gain, then um, yeah, that's uh, that's unforgivable. Really, the other thing is you've got you've got to be careful of when it comes to the the darker side of all of this um, is that is addiction. And in the book, I chat to someone called William who got so and also I chat to someone else called Seiko and um, William's in Sydney and Seiko is in London and both of them got very addicted to the services of psychics and they spent 
thousands of dollars. I mean, to the point where William's partner had to put a cap on his credit card spending. Both of them got addicted to phone psychics. So you phone, there's a phone line and um, you can go through, you can choose your psychic and um, they'll tell you anything you want to hear, basically. It's called the Barnum effect. And the Barnum effect is when um, they'll give you statements that feel like they're specifically bespoke to you when actually there are vague ambiguous statements that could be applicable to anyone and it's called the barnum effect because um uh, barnum the greatest showman was a master of manipulation and there was something for everyone so it's a it's kind of a trick um one of the many tricks that psychics use to deceive and seduce and addict and um yes seiko who spoke to me from london told me that um she found the psychic phone lines every time she had an argument with her boyfriend and she found it really hard to deal with herself or her words. And she didn't feel like it was a big enough problem to trouble a psychologist with, um, a trained, accredited psychologist. Um, she instead found these psychic lines and would kind of unpick it with them and unwrap it. It was like a, it was like a friend that she paid for because she didn't want to burden her friends with this, the same kind of cyclical um, problem that she kept having with this boyfriend but she spent a lot of money thousands and thousands of pounds um and uh, found herself in debt as a result so that's another thing to be aware of but probably the worst um kind of nefarious dark side of this world is um uh, a story um of um amanda berry amanda berry went missing as a teenager and um her mum and so she went missing in um it was um around 2013 and her mum um went on to the montel williams show and um asked a, a psychic medium called sylvia brown um what happened to her daughter and sylvia brown told her that her daughter was dead um and with quite a lot of certainty and uh, it had been a year and a half since amanda had been missing and um, Amanda, I've watched a clip and you can see in her face, she absolutely believes that this is true. And um, no leads have been turned up by the police and uh, or by the uh, by the media. And that was the day that um, Amanda's mom packed away her room, stopped buying her birthday and Christmas presents. And six months later, she was dead of a broken heart and her health started failing basically from that day. And um that was false. So Amanda was alive the whole time and the medium had um, given her completely false information that her daughter was dead and Amanda's mum had believed it. And Amanda had been held captive in the basement of Ariel Castro the entire time, very high profile case. And um, when uh, for 10 years and when she came out after 10 years, uh, one of her first questions was, where is my mum? So she had to be told that her mum had died of phony grief from a broken heart after a medium had lied to her. So it can get pretty dark. Wow. See, that's a, a very scary picture of like some, uh, the sequence of stories and the picture that you paint. Like, you know, it, it's very convincing and it makes you have like build that picture of what many people might think when they hear skeptics and psychics and go, well, yeah, it sounds like a scam. It sounds like something very dangerous. It sounds like something to be wary of. It sounds like 
a lot of these psychics or mediums are taking advantage of vulnerable people, lonely people, people perhaps with low impulse control or just needing something and they fill this void and then all it takes is one, like they place a lot of trust in this one person and then they just, this person might at worst extract as much monetary value from that person as they can. And, and so if someone's hearing that, and going, okay, well, it sounds like it's a scam. It sounds like it's a hoax. Gary, sounds like you're the hardest skeptic there is. Where did you land then after your two years? So why, why shouldn't I just laugh at mediums and, and people who go there? Why shouldn't I just go, these are just people who need help. They should go to a counsellor. Why, why should, is there any value in, in people going to psychics and why shouldn't I just dismiss everything about it? I mean, you can laugh at them if you want, but what's that going to achieve um, uh, other than five minutes of entertainment? This is what we, we, we believe this is the first book um, ever to talk to believers and skeptics equally. Um, up until now, um, every book has either been like the God delusion, but for psychics, yeah. or it's been um, addressed towards believers. There's hardly been any books um, from a skeptical point of view, or there have been a few, but they've not been as many as um, on the believer side, because the, if you write a book that appeals to believers, it sells bucket loads because so many people are secret believers and don't tell you. And, um, uh, and, and then books sell really, really well. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to just write, um, a book that appealed to one or the other. I, that's why my sister's in the book as the believer. I wanted to, um, I wanted to explore the nuance in this world, and I wanted to um, test my own assumptions and challenge myself. And um, and by doing so, I discovered the value that is in this world. I, I can I can tell you from both a personal point of view and from other people's um, point of view from the stories that I heard. From a personal point of view, I went to go and see a bunch of psychics. And I'll give you an example. I went to go and see this one called Janie. And she was in Byron Bay. Of course she was. And um, and uh, she she was, I remember that day feeling pretty good. I was on holiday. I was feeling pretty good. I was by the sea. And um, I came out um, having seen Janie feeling even better. And that's because I chose to suspend my disbelief. And I indulged this cognitive dissonance and I allowed her to envisage for me this future um, full of wonder and um, romantic and professional success. And, um, you know, um, and, and, and she taught me uh, the need to be patient and, um, and, and, and wanting it all right now. And it's not going to come right now, nor should it, because it won't be as good um, as if you sort of wait for it. And I thought, that's true. And I don't hear that very often. And there's not really many times that um, I sit opposite someone who provides a space for me to be contemplative and reflective and maybe a bit vulnerable and intimate um, outside of a trained um, accredited psychologist who I've also seen in my life. But I go and see them and, and, you know, there is absolutely no substitute for them. Please see them if you're experiencing low mental health, not a psychic. But sometimes there are times when you're feeling okay. I wasn't feeling, I didn't feel like I needed a therapist at that point. Um, but it was nice to have someone who didn't know anything about me and was completely objective. And she kind of did what a lot of psychics do, which is she got me in touch with my own gut. And I think sometimes your analytical brain can get in the way of that. And she got me in touch with like, it'll happen. Stop being so impatient. And 
think about the journey rather than the destination and all of those kind of like I guess cliches that we know but it kind of reinforced all those things for me and I came away feeling content and a bit excited and entertained and she was kind and friendly and I didn't believe a word she said but that didn't matter because things don't need to be true for you to find truth and that is why we read fiction books and that is why we watch Netflix series and that's why we we watch films and go to the theatre things don't need to be true for us to find truth and she helped me to find some truths about myself and about life and um and I think that that um was a a value in the world that I had dismissed because if your starting point is I am a skeptic this is all bullshit you know the, the the original title of my book was bullshit question mark bullshit <laughs> and the question mark was kind of <laughs> you know but we we thought it would be too alienating to believers because what the believers say because mm. if your starting point is like i'm a skeptic you're never going to convince me then you kind of just dismiss all of these stories that are full of wonder and um uh intrigue and they're interesting and also the, the stories are real for them. You know, for the believers, those stories are real, just like a person of faith. Their faith is very real to them. And by listening to them and hearing them um, and not saying, well, I don't believe in that. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter where I landed. It doesn't matter where I ended up. Um, what matters is I, I started to hear my sister and my sister started to hear me. And, and I, in the same way that if someone's a believer now, I don't I don't say, well, I don't, you know, I've, I've been on dates before. They've gone, what star sign are you? And I think, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is that is that important you know I mean, there's a whole dating app called align which uh, matches you based on your most compatible oh. star sign and uh, like that's really not important to me but i just think well that's important to them so rather than sigh and roll your eyes like is what i usually do now i just say libra i mean it's easy <laughs> and and then and then they can tell me what they think that means and and, and and then we engage in a different way. And I look less like a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like that's a really um, good lesson that I think is sounds obvious, but it's like you're pulling out the fact that people are communicating something about their life experience or what they're perceiving or what they're guessing. And if it's dismissed too quickly, there's that human connection that I suppose is lost that can happen with the mockery of religion or the dismissal of someone who's religious or someone who might be believing the supernatural and be telling you about maybe ghosts that they see or their medium and they're connecting maybe with a dead loved one. It sounds like you're pulling out this, like where you landed was an ability to see your sister's life experience and maybe be open enough to pause the judgments enough to hear what is being communicated. Even if at the initial, uh, at the initial interaction, you go, this isn't literally true, but then it sounds like there's this other part that goes, yeah, but that's okay because they're telling me something. What is it? What's their life experience? Let us, let me continue to get to know this complex thing called a person. Exactly. I mean, she she also um, paused her judgment of me as a skeptic, you know, because um, she, she judged me too as as someone that was cynical and a party pooper and a buzzkill and um, and dismissive and maybe a bit supercilious um, and condescending, and um, and I, and the reason I know that is because 
having sought out all of those mediums when our dad died to try and bring him back in the room and believing that he was back in the room. She then um, took my advice and hired a grief counsellor. Um, and that grief counsellor said to her, um, this is going to hurt. And he's never coming back. That's really going to hurt. But here are some of the psychological tools that um, you can use to help you cope with that. And um, and she was then able to move through those five stages of grief beyond um, denial beyond bargaining, which is what the medium the mediums were keeping her in that in that phase, and then and they're taking money every time from her. Um, and she was then able to move through depression and move through slowly to acceptance. And she hasn't seen a medium since. And um, she does sometimes still go and see a psychic. So a medium speaks to a de- to the dead. Psychic sees into the future, but she hasn't seen a medium since. She just doesn't. She just doesn't have an interest in that anymore. So that's how she stepped into my world. And I stepped in her, into her world because it can be a lot of fun. It, you know, there's there's a lot of if you if you don't take it too seriously, um, it can be an awful lot of fun and very seductive. Um, and if you you sort of watch yourself, don't get too addicted, don't ta- you know, don't take them too seriously. But for the people who do take it seriously, if you're not running a major stockbroking firm that way, and you're not running a country that way, but you are um, giving yourself some some guidelines and signposts and um, and getting in touch with your own gut that way, then I th- actually do think it can be harmless and it can be and it can be a way of bonding. Like, as you say, it's a form of it's, what I discovered is human connection, the human connection of connecting both with that person who sat opposite me, but also in the retelling of those stories. You know, when I when I for this book, I heard dozens and dozens of stories of people who had experienced heartbreaking grief and had hired a medium to help them process that. Um, it is unconventional, um, but they would sit up, friends who I'd known for a long time and I thought were quite close to me would sit opposite me and 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 shed tears and tell me about how this grief that they'd never really been able to process properly and they'd gone to see a medium who'd helped them to do that um and suddenly it brought us closer because i was because they were coming to me with their stories because they knew i was writing a book and i was coming into their world previously they would have gone i just wouldn't have told you that story gary because you were just so fixed in your skepticism that you're like well that's all bullshit and they're exploiting you and actually what happened was when I started to hear them is that um, we became closer as friends. And that's what I learned from this journey. If you, if you just hang up your skeptical cloak and um, just hear people, then they'll start to hear you too. And it fosters an intimacy and a connection and a closeness um, that is uh, much, much closer than what I had before when I was just dismissive and a skeptic. Yeah, that posture that you describe of, let's say, flipping it to scepticism at its worst, no matter what it is opposing, at its worst can disconnect us with our pre-drawn conclusions of this is reality and I don't need to hear what you've got to say because I'm going to convince you of what my reality is. seems to be that disconnection from someone else's humanity and almost to the point where when you were describing your experience with a medium, that experience was, even though you didn't probably literally believe, you know, she's seeing into the future and things like that, it was interesting to hear you say, like, connect you with your gut and, and like, this this different way of moving through life. One is, you know, rational, logical, but as 
the most obvious example, not everything's logical and rational because, you know, love isn't rational. It doesn't make any rational sense. Like divide half your stuff with like force yourself to go through the trauma of living together for so long. And then in like, it, it's not always a rational thing. Um, and so it's almost, it's almost that skeptics can allow you to potentially not skeptics, psychics can allow you to potentially connect with yourself maybe, or hold a mirror up to yourself to see yourself in a new way in a new light. And maybe even if, if it is just holding your intellectual side more loosely or something like that. Oh yeah. I mean, in terms of like, when you talk about breakthroughs and epiphanies, the wellness industry has co-opted this and, and a lot of psychics now are, are rebranding themselves as life coaches and careers coaches and motivational coaches, because that's exactly what they do. They do the same thing. Um, and, and based on a little science as well, I might add, you know, it's, it's about kind of um, getting back in touch with yourself and your own goals and your deeper, um, your deeper, you know, when you, when, when you go and see an, a, a psychic, they, they kind of, um, foster your dreams and um, listen to your anxieties and um, uh, and 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 nourish your ambition and um, and I think that's exactly what life coaches do. So that in the wellness bracket, um, that's what a lot of wellness people, wellness coaches, life coaches, motivational speakers, um, a lot of them are psychics and are saying that getting touched, getting in touch with your own gut is something that. Um, is both spiritual and human so um, yeah I think there is value to it um, but I think that there will always be a cohort of people that would view it as little more than pseudoscience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what do you think ties together these groups because you had this stereotype at the beginning of it's got to be emotionally vulnerable people people who are going through a tough, t- tough time losing a loved one um, lonely what ties together this stereotype and the one you uncovered about these powerful, successful people? Was there anything that tied together the use of a skeptic of a psychic or was it, or was it just (laughs) every more people use them than we think? It goes to the very essence of what makes us human and what we all have in common, whether you are Ronald Reagan, who used a psychic to advise him on every movement of his presidency, or whether you are my sister, who has none of his power or agency, um, you are susceptible to the same human emotions, which are the need for reassurance, um, the the need to know what the future might hold and to be prepared for it, um, the, the the need for optimism, and um, the ability to experience imposter syndrome, um, uh, and 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 want to be alleviated from that, and the and the crushing, paralyzing, crippling anxiety um, that comes along with that. And when there's someone sitting opposite you that seems to have all the answers to um, address all of those issues, it just goes to the very heart of what it is to be human. So that's you know that's what I ended up writing a book about. I didn't write a book about a spiritual realm and a mystical realm i wrote a book about what it is to be human and that's why these people exist that's absolutely why these people exist it's it's like our humanity has you know everyone has these insecurities and struggles with connection and loneliness no matter where you sit on the hierarchy and it's almost like that need or desire that we all have 
to validate ourselves or look outside to some kind of absolute religion will often look and go, well, God has blessed me. Something outside of myself is telling me that I'm okay. And in little ways, I suppose psychics, if you're the CEO of a hedge fund going, I don't know if I'm good enough to be in this position, in this role, and almost to the point where maybe not feeling confident enough to make an investment decision, this goes, if you – if you can connect to something bigger than that's out there, that's this ultimate truth, maybe that will validate me and make me feel okay. It sounds like that it's the book. Yeah. You've outlined. It really gets to the heart of all humans, internal desires and struggles. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it goes across, it, it transcends class and it transcends age and it transcends gender. Um, and um, yeah, all human life is here. And, um, and, 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 and as a skeptic and going to see them myself, I, I, something really exciting and wonderful happened when I suspended my disbelief and chose to believe that it was for, especially for me and, and chose to ignore the Barnum effect, which was, um, it was fun. It, and it and it um, enlivened an otherwise pedestrian day, and um, and it also made me believe those things could be true. It made me believe one day I could have that boyfriend or have that promotion or whatever it was that the psychic was um, predicting for me. And um, and just to suspend the disbelief and and um, uh, quiet, sort of like quiet and all my doubts that any of that stuff would happen was powerful in itself was powerful in itself and you know there is there is something to be said about um a psychic who professes absolute certainty that that's going to happen with to you um whereas a psychologist can't do that a psychologist cannot do that and will not do that and should not do that because they are bound by a code of practice that means that they they can't give you false hope but sometimes false hope gets you to the next step and even though it's false it still helps that's especially true with grief. That is especially true with grief. I sat in rooms full of people in group mediumship readings and I saw them all be given false hope and all use it as a a, a life raft. And um, whether or not they knew it was false hope, I don't know, but it helped them. I could see it was helping some of them. And um, uh, and I that was that was surprising to me. Yeah, sometimes false hope helps, <laughs> and um, and and um, I never would have thought that was a good thing. But I think sometimes when you're in the depths of despair, all you need is 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 just a, a shard of light to get in and to and to convince you that something might get better, and then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. So they wield a lot of power, these people, and I just hope that they do that with a bit more responsibility than they sometimes have. Mm. It sounds like in some aspects the path of the sceptic is far more difficult because you can go to a psychic and, you know, you can they can tell you, oh, you're going to meet somebody, you're going to um, eventually be happy or be over this grief or you're eventually going to move forward. You can think, what do you know? You're a psychic, you're a scam artist. Ah, I'm not going to believe any of that. And it sounds like the easier path is to win those hard times outsource that hot outsource 
to get the hope from somebody else so that I, if I could believe it, even if it feels like a lie initially, you, you're going to meet somebody or you're going to connect or your life won't be wasted. You're going to have fun, meaning and purpose. The skeptic will deny that and perhaps never find meaning and purpose, but maybe the easier path for the believer that goes, you know what, I am going to find that. And then they go out and create it themselves and therefore, yeah, like you said, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah, I'd far rather be a believer than a skeptic. I'd far rather, the same goes for people of faith. If, if you believe that there is life after death and if you believe that there is a God in the sky that is listening to your prayers and you believe that in the innate goodness of people and that you can make the world a better place with your faith, um, all those things, then it's far less stark and um and it's consoling and um uh and and less existential and 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 i would i would much you know i really really do wish i could believe both in psychics and in um religion and and all of the things that come with religion because i think that it would be consoling and it would be healing um and reassuring but you know um uh, the the will is there, but the conviction is not. So I can't I can't will my own belief. You know, I would love to be a believer, but the the deep down the conviction is not there. So um, uh, I can't I can't kid myself. But you know, I can suspend my disbelief. And um, there's as the saying goes, there's no atheist on a sinking ship. Mm. Why do you think? that is that line that difference between you and your sister you, you can see these benefits you can see sometimes it might be an easier path and you 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 go you think maybe i maybe i wish i could w- what's that difference between when you try and become a believer but just realize that conviction is not there why do you think that is do you think that's like a neurological thing do you think you know like you said maybe your life's too easy and you need to be on a sinking ship to find that faith what do you think it might be well, I looked into the God spot and whether there was a neurological difference between believers and non-believers. And um, in short, um, it's more complex than that. And it's uh, there are a number of different factors. So th- there isn't a God, there isn't really a God spot um, or a believer spot. Um, but, you know, some people are susceptible to in- indoctrination. And um, but others question everything, you know, and if this is the thing, if you question everything, if you're a skeptic about everything, you're a complete skeptic about everything, then you are a conspiracy theorist um, and you have faith in nothing. You have no faith in, in – we saw this with the pandemic. You don't have faith in the government. You don't have faith in the media. You think they're lying to you and you are an anti-vaxxer. So there is danger in also being completely skeptical. You know, I you ha- I have some faith, in, although I, I think politicians can lie and um, spin. I actually do have faith in them, and and that's reassuring. You know, I, I had some faith in them. We saw that when Gladys Berejiklian went. You know, there was a lot of faith put into her because she listened to the um, to the chief medical officer mostly, and um, there was a lot of faith in her, and she built up a lot of trust by coming out every day and fronting up to people. And if you're a skeptic about all all institutions, politician politicians, um, the media, all institutions. Um, and you have no faith in any of them, you are a conspiracy theorist, and that is the danger of being an uber-skeptic. So you've got to have some faith, um, you know, by definition, um, belief without evidence, um, that people have got your best intentions at heart. And um, and it, and that in itself is reassuring. I'm glad that I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm glad, I feel sorry for them, because they genuinely think that poison is being put into our bodies. And, you know, I'm glad that I at least have that much faith. Um but when it comes to my sister and I, um, in terms of a classic 
believer-skeptic divide. I used to think it came down to intellect and gullibility, which is pretty patronising, to be honest. I don't think that anymore. I think that, um, you know, maybe it is true. I don't know. I haven't seen evidence to suggest it is, but I'm, that's what governs me. And um, that doesn't govern my sister. Maybe she's right and maybe I'm wrong. But um, she would concede herself that um, going by evidence um, that uh, the skept- there's more weight on the sceptic side, um, that evidence, evidence just doesn't convince her and that's the difference. Um, so um, it's different from what I once presumed and, um, uh, and that's the same for people of faith. Um, but yeah, the the line comes when you are telling other people how to live their lives based on your own personal belief, whether that's psychic or um, or faith. And there are, believe me, there are uber believers on this journey that were quite are quite annoyed that I um, uh, st- still don't believe. Um, but what I believe in is their power. I believe in their power, but I just don't believe that that power is spiritual or paranormal or supernatural. I believe that they've conflated it. I believe that they have the power of, um, well, the ear of the powerful for a start, which bestows upon them a credibility and a power. But I also believe that they uh, are hyper-perceptive and um, uh, extremely intuitive. And I believe that's a very human gift, and it's one that probably could be better used sometimes. But having seen the value for some of the believers in this world, maybe they are. some of them are putting it to good use they are helping people they're helping alleviate loneliness we were in a loneliness epidemic and uh i saw many cases of them helping alleviate people's loneliness um uh and and depression and uh and i think that that's pretty powerful um you know it should be left up to therapists and counselors but you can't force people to go to them so um wherever people find comfort and um uh, and joy then who am I to judge where they find that? It sounds like your journey of sitting with and listening to the stories of many pe- many different people, the sceptics and the believers, it sounds like it's softened your position to a point where you can understand the, the benefits of it, even if you you still probably think it's a certain way. It sounds like people have softened that worldview so it do- it's not this hardened uh patronizing well if you were smart enough you would realize that it's not real and it's a hoax it sounds like that humanity of people and their journeys has has transformed i suppose how at least you hold this whole topic and it it sounds like that's what you've really that's where you've landed in your book and and in this topic yeah that's exactly where i've landed in two words humanity and connection they're the two things i discovered Well, I think that sums it up quite well. And with that, you've given us a lot to sit with and digest and uh, I guess hold the mirror up to ourselves and wonder, what do I believe and how firmly do I hold it? And could I be wrong? Is Gary, if people want to get a hold of you and find out what you're doing, find your book, uh, maybe follow you on Twitter, where might they be able to do that? Yeah, Twitter is probably the best place if they're on there at Gary Nunn one or you can find the book which is called The Psychic Tests um, on um, Booktopia and in all good bookshops and some bad ones. <laughs> some bad ones. Amazon. Amazon. That's the bad one. Um, Gary, thanks so much for taking so much time to explore the journey that you've taken on the last two years and your personal journey through it and where you, where you landed. If you're listening to this 
episode and you disagree with the entire thing, but you made it to the end, congratulations. That's the difficult practice. Send me a DM. I will send you a golden emoji. You've earned it. Spend it all wherever they accept these rewards of golden emojis. If I missed any questions, you think I should have asked a certain question, send me a DM. Let me know what I should have asked. And until next time, I will catch you all in the next episode.